Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I hope all is well for you. We've got a great episode for you as I sat down with Drew Dick this week. Drew is an editor at Moody Publishers and former managing editor of Leadership Journal. He has written several books, and his latest book is so good. It's entitled, Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. On this week's episode, Drew and I have a very interesting discussion on a topic that you might not think of as being very interesting, self-control. Drew gets into some brain science, which is always fun, and discusses how science and spirituality connect around this important topic. We talk about why self-control is actually very freeing, and we touch on some of the unique challenges ministry leaders might encounter over self-control. It was a great time, and I look forward to sharing it with you. So please join me in my conversation with Drew Dick. Drew, I am so excited for this uh, very intriguing conversation we're about to dive into. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited about it, too. Now, Drew, we are going to talk about everyone's favorite subject, of course, course. self control, right? Yeah, um, super sexy topic. Exactly, exactly. Now, we <laughs> see see many examples of self-control in Scripture, yet it's one of those topics that we often feel is somewhat, somewhat stifling, uh, like I have to keep everything in order. Yet, Drew, you speak of self-control as a way toward freedom. Can you share with us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. No, I, I I realize that. When it comes to this topic, when I would mention it to people that I was writing a book on self-control, I heard a lot of sighs and groans. You know, people kind of go, oh, they realize they have work to do in this area, but it's kind of something you don't really want to face up to. Right. And then I think just, you know, in the broader culture, too, self-control kind of has a, a bad reputation. We think of it as, like you said, confining and boring, almost like this Victorian ideal uh, that, that we have left behind. And of course, you know, my contention is that it's just the opposite, because if you live a life of discipline today, if you exercise some self-control, if you grow in this crucial area, what's going to happen is your life is actually going to open up and it's going to lead to greater freedom and flourishing ultimately. Yeah, I love that. I love that. One of the things that you write in your book, your future self will thank you. You write this, you say, defeating the enemy beyond your walls is hard. Subduing the enemy within is harder. Hmm. Yeah. And we seem to often look at what is happening externally, right? I mean, that's kind of where our focus often is, especially when we think of ourselves as pastors, as ministry leaders. We have a lot going on. We're wearing a lot of different hats. We have a lot of responsibilities. Drew, why is it that subduing the enemy within is so much more difficult? Yeah, I think, and I think for most of us, we realize just intuitively that that's true. Yes, there are external challenges. There are temptations that kind of come at us from the outside. And of course, I believe we have a spiritual adversary, right, who who wants to trip us up. But at the end of the day, when I look at the pastors uh, that have had, you know, big moral lapses or disqualified themselves from ministry in some way, it's usually because uh, there was something internally that was weak, right? Mm, there was a, yeah. a neglect of their relationship with God. They, they, were, they were doing too much, too fast, and, and they weren't nurturing that, that vital connection. 
and um, or they had a, a fundamental character flaw. And so I think really the most important thing as a leader, and it sounds maybe a little counterintuitive because you might think about the, the things that are going to come against you externally, uh, but it's just attending to that internal life and making sure you're connected to God and growing in these in these areas, especially when it comes to your self-control. Mm-hmm. So the biggest enemy that you have when it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to growing in your sanctification, uh, is, is your own self. And of course, I think of Romans 7, where Paul says, you know, I, I, I do not do the good I want to do, uh, that sort of internal civil war that we all have. And I think that's the main thing. I think, you know, I, I we've all seen uh, over the past year or so, high-profile leaders have massive moral failings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sobering. I think it's a reminder, a grim reminder of how important this topic is. And at the same time, I see people reacting to those and they go, oh no, Satan poached another one. Oh my goodness, poor guy. Well, yeah, okay, that's true. Uh, Satan certainly had a victory there. But let's let's not give Satan all the credit. Um, we need to really be serious about living lives of self-control, of being wary about our, our fundamental weaknesses um, and growing in holiness. Uh, and I'm not talking about legalism, but being attentive to our own souls. That That's just wise. And not only for ourselves, especially when you're in leadership, the stakes are higher. You know, whether you want right. it to be or not, the stakes are higher. And so uh, self-control isn't an optional virtue. It is essential, especially for people who are in church leadership. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Now, now you did mention legalism. Let's touch on that a little bit because I think when when people and you write about this in the book, when people kind of approach this idea of self-control, sometimes our minds go in a few different places and kind of legalism is is one of those those places. Can you kind of walk us through what kind of self-control is and what some of the things that the baggage we attach to it that that really is unnecessary? Yeah, I think that's a natural objection people have if you talk about this topic is they go, well, just a minute here. Is this going to lead us into legalism, right? Right. Are we going to start trying to, I don't know, earning our way to heaven or looking down on others or being judgmental jerks? Uh, and that's <laughs> always that's always a danger. Um, but I would want to clarify, you know, in, in, in the scriptural sense, self-control, a fruit of the spirit, first of all, uh, something that's mentioned repeatedly, um, uh, you know, in various ways is essential to the life of the Christian. And I think uh, often we have this sort of uh, let go and let God um, mentality when it comes to our sanctification that is actually dangerous and unscriptural, right? Right. Um, this idea that that sort of passivity equals spirituality and we're going to just sit back and enjoy this pleasure cruise towards holiness. Well, that may be a popular sentiment in evangelical circles often, unfortunately, but it doesn't it's not reflected in scripture. You get all these commands to, to resist sin, right? To resist the devil, to, to strive for ho- for godliness, for run, running the race. You know, you pick your metaphor. It's all throughout scripture. Now, I think where that lapses into legalism is when you start kind of looking at yourself and going, yeah, you know what? I'm doing this by myself. I can, I can bootstrap my way to holiness, which, of course, you cannot. Um, and yet there's a role for human effort, which I think we can't dismiss so quickly. Yeah, let's dig in a little bit there. Let, t- talk to us a little more, Drew, about this collaborative relationship between God and us on our journey. Yeah, that was one of the big kind of paradoxes of this issue I knew I had to tackle, and right. I, I do dedicate a chapter to it in the book, and that is, okay, well, hey, listen, if the Spirit is here to empower me, why should I have to you know, exert self-control 
and, and, and control my behavior. And who's actually doing the heavy lifting here? Well, I'd say it's the spirit, first of all. And again, it's, a, it's described as a fruit of the spirit. We think of self-control as something maybe that's just about us and our efforts. But the truth is, it's, you know, it's a fruit of the spirit. It's something that grows in your life when you're connected to God. So that's the first essential thing. But I just am so struck by how many passages seamlessly put together the divine role, God's empowerment, and our own efforts when it comes to this topic. You know, I think of even work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, that sounds like it's all on you, but then the next words are, for it is Christ who works in, you know. Mm -hmm. So so just passage after passage, you see that. Now, I think sometimes we get confused because if we apply that to salvation, to justification, we're, I mean, obviously that's 100% God. You don't do anything to merit your salvation. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't chip in and do a little bit and God does the rest. That's all about God. But when it comes to sanctification, that lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus, there is some effort required. And that's where self-control comes in. I really think that um, if we buy into this idea that the spiritual life should be easy, um, we, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment and, frankly, just being stuck in our spiritual life. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I love that. And, and also kind of taking that a little bit further is sometimes we, if we have the attitude that, you know, it's all God's work in this, you know, our journey of sanctification, if it's all God's work, then we begin to almost blame God in a way. I mean, we might not come <laughs> out and say it, but we're almost kind of blaming God that we aren't further along on the journey. You know what I mean? Um, and, yeah. and I think that's very, very dangerous. And that's why I think this topic of self-control and how you address it is so critical not only for us as pastors and ministry leaders, but in, in really helping disciple and lead the people God's entrusted to us. Because I, I think that's a, it's one of those misnomers that, that people kind of cling to, and it gives them kind of an excuse for not developing in Christ-likeness, right? Yeah, totally. And I think so often it affects discipleship, right? Because we're pretty good. Uh, by and large, at conveying information to people, right? Yeah. And 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 when you go to seminary, I went to seminary. You know, that's that's the emphasis. Okay. You, first of all, you got to learn the right things, and that's all crucial. Obviously, knowledge of God, um, and then you've got to be able to communicate it. And so and so, we really focus on that as leaders, communicating truth well. Um, but often, what I found in my own life, I'll just be honest, my knowledge of God is way up here in the stratosphere. Not that I'm like I don't know MT right or something, but um, <laughs> I have uh, you know I've, I've done a lot of study and. And read a lot of theology, and that's important. But then my actual, you know, behaviors and my life, and it, it's not reflecting what I know. There's this this kind of dangerous gap, and often what's happening there is just a lack of self control. And so when we're discipling people, this needs to be a, a um, uh, something we return to again and again. And I think that, and it's not about layering uh, layering on legalism or, or, or burdening people with with a to do list, but it's encouraging them to strive with the spirit, right? You strive mm-hmm. with the spirit instead of against the spirit, and um, and then you will see progress, I believe, in your Christian walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good, brother. So good. Uh, Drew, I, wa- I want to jump into um, something that you address um, in the book, and that is kind of the science behind self-control. And I know as soon as we say something along those lines, especially when we're talking about you know our spiritual development— uh, there are people who just immediately push back on that, right? And right. and so first, why do we need to understand uh, both kind of the science 
and the spirituality of self-control. Why is this important? Mm, yeah, no, and I, I totally get that objection um, because you don't want to just say, well, anything that science uncovers, we're just going to take that and make it our new thing to do. Right. Um, but the, the, the sort of baseline commitment here is that maxim, all truth is God's truth, right? So when we discover something about our psychology or the way our brain works or habits and that kind of stuff, um, that's that's worth exploring, and we shouldn't be threatened by that, um, and because like I'll, I'll talk about in a moment, it really does come to bear on this issue of our behaviors. And what I was struck with uh, repeatedly as I researched this topic, because yes, I did, I looked at it from both the spiritual perspective, primarily looking at what scripture has to say, reading other Christian writers on this topic, but then also going to the other side and reading sociologists, psychologists, neuroscientists on this, on related topics. And what I was struck with, though, repeatedly was how the findings in these fields perfectly complement and back up and affirm what Scripture teaches us about ourselves. You know, one example is willpower. Okay, so 20 years ago, a sociologist named Roy Bauermeister made this discovery that willpower, uh, that is the emotional energy to do hard things, basically, um, is a finite resource. And, and what I mean by that is it's, it runs out, it's exhaustible, and it runs out rather quickly. And study after study has shown that to be true. Well, when I hear that as a Christian, I think, well, that's interesting. But it shouldn't be too surprising because in Scripture we're described as fallen, finite creatures, right? Um, Jesus, I think of his words on uh, the eve of his crucifixion to his disciples, that the, the spirit is willing but the body is weak mm. or uh, advice like flee temptation rather than stand and fight it. Why? Because your your willpower is limited. You're going to give in eventually if you sit around entertaining temptation. Um, anyway, so yeah, I just, I just see a lot of uh, complementarity there, um, a, a lot of neat affirmations, and it was a fascinating journey. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So Drew, let's explore that a bit more. What uh, other kind of key scientific realities as you were researching this book did you come across in regard to self-control that that we should kind of keep in mind? Sure. Well, yeah, like I mentioned, willpower was one, and that has a lot of implications because when you realize that you have a finite amount of this precious resource we call willpower, uh, you want to spend it wisely. You know, I was talking to some pastors recently, and one of them recalled being in an accountability group where um, one pastor had enough vulnerability to admit that he had succumbed to the temptation of pornography and the thing that was so baffling to him was that it happened right on the heels of speaking at a ministry conference, and he felt awful. And then one by one, the, the guys in this group said, you know, that's exactly when I fall prey to temptation. And when I look at that through the lens of willpower, you go, you're, you're ministering, you're doing something difficult, um, you're performing, let's face it, right? And then after that, you come home, your, your, your willpower is depleted, mm. you're low, that leaves you very vulnerable to temptation. Um, I think, too, even of scriptural stories like Elijah defeating the, the, the prophets of Baal. This awesome, incredible victory, right? What does he do after? He goes and cries in a cave. Right. <laughs> it's just, I'm the only one left, you know. And so we're human. And, and, and it's, it's worth noting those psychological uh, vulnerabilities that we have. So that, that's one thing. And then there's a whole, I, I spend a couple chapters in the book on, on the role of habits. And this is crucial too. Habits are just those automatic routines in our life. We like to think that we go about our lives making systematic decisions very rationally. But the truth is, uh, at least half the time, we're just defaulting to old habits and we're not even thinking about it. And so 
I think that's often why we're so perplexed at our behavior. We go, man, I believe these things about God. I want to live the Christian life or I want to eat better. I want to exercise more. But then when we go about living that life, we are slipping into old habits. And so I look carefully at, you know, all the three parts of a habit and, and how you can actually replace bad habits with good ones. And I think that's just wise because I, I think it was N.T. Wright who said that virtue is when um, our character is when virtue becomes automatic. Something mm-hmm. to that effect. I might be um, slaughtering that a little bit. But that idea that when when it, it's an ingrained pattern in your life, um, it's not that you're sitting and gritting it out and making the right decision in every si- single circumstance, but you've established these patterns in your life that can kind of carry you. And the beauty of that is it preserves your willpower because when it's a habit, you're not using that willpower anymore. And your willpower runs out. It, it doesn't last long even when you grow it. I love the quote from John Ortberg. He says, habits eat willpower for breakfast. In other words, if you're going into a situation, you're relying on willpower, well, that's a gamble. If you're relying on habits, that's what's going to work. Mm, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love the, the connection between those two that, that you made and that we see in science. And, and we see it in the really the way that God has, has created us. Because um, as you were talking about uh, willpower being depleted and vulnerability, you know, one of the questions that, that comes to mind is, well, then what should we do when we know that we're going to be vulnerable? And as you talked about habits, I was kind of answering that question in my mind. You know, as we develop habits, that helps us kind of bridge through those vulnerable periods. Would you agree with that? Is that, is that kind of yes. what you're saying, that with those habits and then, then whenever we do feel depleted, when we do feel exhausted, when we are more susceptible to um, falling to temptation, we already have these habits in place that will kind of carry us through when our willpower is, you know, at its most fragile. Yeah, I think that's well said, um, really. And and again, uh, with with willpower, you want to conserve it, right? So if you know you're headed into a difficult situation or a temptation mm-hmm. or a, a busy time of ministry, make sure you go in refreshed. Don't don't try to do something incredibly difficult beforehand. And I know that's that's hard, right? Right. Um, but if you can replenish yourself and do whatever brings you rest and um, and go in relatively fresh. The second thing is, the, this is the good news, your willpower can grow, you know, as you do hard things. And there's been study after study showing even silly little things like using your non-dominant hand, which takes extra effort, will actually make you more self-controlled in other areas of your life. So, you know, it's engaging those spiritual disciplines. First of all, that's huge. Prayer. Prayer is, it has been shown in study after study to actually uh, mitigate against the depletion of willpower. It's remarkable. Um, and so, and we shouldn't be surprised, of course, as Christians about that. So you don't want to neglect those things and you want to build your willpower, but you're right. Ultimately, it comes down to habits. That's huge. Implementing those habits in your life that are going to carry you essentially, um, through temptations, through storms, through difficulties. Um, and again, the spiritual disciplines are so huge. That's what I do in the book too. I kind of go through and apply this stuff to my life and really try to establish a, a routine of, of reading scripture and praying. I think the danger for church leaders, and this is a big one, is that you can get to the place, if you're not careful, um, where the only time you're opening the Bible is to teach it, right? right. The only time you are praying is in public. That's dangerous. Yes. That, that'll follow out your soul. And so making sure you're, you're, you're communing with God, again, it's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. So you want to keep that connection secure, to nourish your own soul, 
Um, and I can't overstate the importance of that enough. Drew, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that's key. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about, you know, what are some of the unique challenges that we as pastors and ministry leaders have when it comes to self-control? And I think you just kind of hit it on the head because I know as I travel and speak and have conversations with pastors all over, uh, one of the things that they are sad to admit oftentimes is that their time in God's Word and their time in prayer is almost exclusively tied to, you know, their public ministry. And they've, mm-hmm. they've not um, created those spiritual disciplines, those spiritual habits that will continue to feed their soul and help them to stay connected to the Spirit in such a way that they can develop the fruit of the Spirit, right? So I think that's key. Are there other things? I mean, spiritual disciplines, that's huge. Are there other things that um, you uncovered or, or that you think are you know, really helpful specifically for pastors and ministry leaders when it comes to how to develop this self-control? Yeah, I mean, w- one interesting thing from from the the scientific literature is how we tend to think about our future selves. Mm. So, and you know, my the title of the book's kind of playful. It's kind of like, hey, be be nice to your future self. But when they ask people to think about themselves in the future, to imagine themselves, say, a month or six months down the road, they 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 look at brain waves and people think of their future selves exactly in the same way that they think of strangers. It's it's remarkable. Really. Yeah, and so and and they think of these future selves as superheroes. Man, like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, this fall, I mean, I'm gonna crush it. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wake up at five every morning. I'm going to uh, you know read scripture for an hour. I'm going to exercise. I'm gonna do all this stuff. I mean, today now I'm gonna dial it in, right? But your future self is a superhero. Now, of course, we all know when you get to that future, you find your same old lazy, unsanctified <laughs> self uh, waiting for you. Um, and so that's something to be aware of, especially for leaders, because it's so, it's so easy to agree to things in the future because the superhero is going to take care of it, right? Oh, Oh, sure. Yeah. I'll take that on. I can take on that responsibility. No problem. Uh, and then often what happens is you just, you burden yourself, um, with a lot of responsibilities that are going to deplete your willpower and overwhelm you. So be realistic about your future self. I'd say that's one takeaway as well. That's good. That's really good. I, I kind of want to move in a slightly different direction because this is something that you, you bring up in the book. But can you talk to us a little bit about the relationship between sin and self-control? Yeah, sure. That was a question I had going in. It's like, is every time that you have a willpower or self-control lapse, is that a sin every time? And I'd say no, honestly, because I mean, I for instance, if someone offers you a cookie and kale and you choose the cookie, I don't think that means you're being sinful. I think that just means your taste buds are working, uh, probably, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, now, of course, it gets a little great. Uh, I mean, if you eat a whole box of cookies, which I'm ashamed to say that I've done, um, then you're flirting with gluttony, right? And so there's that blurry boundary between um, you know, uh, behaviors that are just kind of unwise or time wasters and sinful behaviors. Um, but I think all of it needs attention and self-control underlies it all, right? Like you think, okay, tonight, what am I going to do? Am I going to spend some meaningful time with my kids, with my wife, or am I going to just kind of like, I don't know, give the kids an iPad, let them watch some cartoons and I'm going to sit and watch Netflix, right? And, and, And there's nothing wrong with doing that every once in a while. But if you consistently make those lazy choices, you don't exercise self-control that over time adds up to a life characterized by by sloth and um, and just kind of poor choices that are going to adversely affect your life. 
right? Right. And so self-control. And I think sometimes, like at least me, I think uh, I get really inspired to live a certain way. Maybe I've heard a great sermon or read a great book. And then all of a sudden I think, man, at some climactic moment in the future, I'm going to make this awesome decision and everything's going to change. Well, the truth is more mundane. It's those tiny little decisions that you make every day, day in and day out, that end up defining uh, your life, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it can add up to a life of of sin um, and laziness, or it can add up to a life that's characterized by freedom and flourishing. So that that's why I think this topic, again, is so important. Yeah, Drew, and, and that kind of leads me into another thought. So, you know, the relationship between sin and self-control. What about the relationship between grace and self-control? Ah, uh, yeah, this is great. And obviously, um, people tend to think that they're antithetical, that they're on opposite right. ends of the spectrum, right? Because it's like, okay, well, grace, I mean, hey, uh, God's going to forgive me, loves me unconditionally, uh, and therefore I can mess up as much as I want to. I don't really need to exercise self-control. Of course, the Apostle Paul anticipates this objection and says, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> or heaven forbid, you know, choose right. your translation. Um, but he, he's right. It's absurd, right? Because when you know you're forgiven, when you've experienced that, especially if you've internalized it, the grace of God, it doesn't make you want to sin. It makes you want to live a life of righteousness. And again, this is where uh, the science on this is so fascinating. You know, um, first of all, researchers talk about what they call the what the hell effect. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's actually what it's called. (laughs) And they they looked at dieters and when dieters mess up, and even if it's like a small indiscretion, like they ate a bag of potato chips, what follows that because of guilt and hopelessness is a full on binge. So they just tend to go, you know what, who cares? I've already messed up anyway. I'm just going to engage in more bad behavior. And I think that's because guilt doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. You'd think it would. You'd think that maybe, oh, if I just pile on enough guilt, it'll motivate me to do things. But it doesn't. It has the opposite effect. There's also something called the, the fresh start effect. And that refers to the phenomenon that when people perceive that they have a blank slate, that they're starting new, their behavior improves. That's why people start diets and do things on birthdays or New Year's or whatever. And and it actually gives them a boost. And that's because you think, man, I'm starting fresh. And as Christians, of course, we have the ultimate fresh start because we're forgiven by God. Uh, we're adopted into his family. We are uh, given a blank slate and repeatedly, even when we mess up. So that's what fuels self-control. It's to internalize that grace, get it into your bones and believe it and and you can you're going to have more success in your walk when you you are mindful of that. That's huge, brother, because I think a lot of maybe not intentionally, I, I'd hope not intentionally. Um, although there have been some streams, some traditions of of uh, church life, I think have emphasized guilt, right? And so oh, yeah. I, I think <laughs> that this whole idea of of guilt has been one of these things that has been used time and time again to try to help people produce self-control very ineffectively, obviously. And But this flips that on its head, this idea of, of grace. And so to kind of go back to the I'm on a diet and I just downed a bag of potato chips. So instead of the idea that, you know, oh, you know, I'm a guilty person because I have, you know, you know, this, this guilt and the shame because I, I did this. So instead of that heaping on, which as you said, um, science shows only leads to 
you know, hey, I've already, you know, cracked the dam, might as well open it all the way and, you know, let the waters flow, right? And just dive right in. This idea of stopping and pausing and seeking God's grace that, hey, I might have, you know, made a, a poor decision, but I can receive a fresh start through my life with Christ and kind of a healthy awareness of that. Is is that kind of what, what you're talking about? That's that's exactly it. And I think it's so important to emphasize because it's incredible. So many people get stuck in because of guilt. Right. You know, and church leaders, too. I mean, yeah. it's like, oh, man, looked at porn again. And I'm supposed to be a, a person that's leading other people. I Oh, I racked up my credit card. I, oh, I, I screamed at my kids. I, you know, whatever it is that's your particular challenge. And, and then you hear the voices like, like if people really knew the truth about me, man, they would, you know, uh, they'd be so disillusioned or this is just going to keep happening. I can't break out of it. You know, all those, those negative voices, which uh, I am convinced uh, at least partially from the enemy. Right. Um, and, and when you do that, uh, obviously, you know, from experience, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to more bondage and you just go, who cares? I've already messed up so much. I'm just going to keep, you know, like a dog returning to its vomit. I'm just going to keep engaging in this sin. Um, and that's so destructive because it's 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 crucial to be to take seriously what Scripture says about just the categorical nature of forgiveness that God says no 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 I've, it, it's my son's blood it's not your your behavior that's done it you are absolutely forgiven and from that basis of grace you will experience more freedom that's that's awesome that's beautiful super super important Drew man uh, we could go on forever I think this is such a such a <laughs> fascinating topic. Uh, really want to encourage people, honestly, to to check out Drew's book, Your Future Self Will Thank You. And we'll have a link to that in our show notes here. But Drew, thank you for being with us. How can people, if they want to connect with you or even learn more about the book, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, well, I mean, drop by my website. It's uh, just my name, Drew Dick, and the last name is D-Y-C-K dot com. And you can there's some you know articles there and some corny pictures of me with my family and <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, I'm on Twitter probably too much, uh, and, and my handle's just uh, Drew Dick. Um, or if you're in the Pacific Northwest, I'm in in Vancouver, Washington. So if you want to drop by and grab a coffee, that'd be best. So <laughs> awesome, <laughs> awesome, brother! I think a lot of people need to make their way out to, to Vancouver area just to hang hey, out with beautiful. you. Beautiful. Well, and it's beautiful. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Awesome. Drew, thank you so much for being with us. Certainly appreciate um, your heart in, in, in the, the research, this, this news book that you've put out. And uh, man, it's just super powerful. Great resource for us as pastors and ministry leaders and for, for the church as a whole. So thank you for uh, allowing God to lead you into that and taking that on and, and providing this for us all. God bless you, my friend. Hey, God bless you too. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available 
for both Apple and Android. And so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day, encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.